Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would, join me in Luke chapter 2. This time of year, I'm reminded of a family in, uh, during the Great Depression, almost 100 years ago. News came that the circus was coming to town, and a little boy heard about that, and he had heard about the circus, and he wanted to go, and he f- realized the tickets cost a dollar. So he went and asked his daddy, and his daddy sadly said, we don't have a dollar. And uh, think about how easy it is to come up with a dollar today, but uh, there was a day that wasn't that easy. So he told his son, he said, if you'll do some odd jobs around some of the neighbors, uh, you know, you got a couple of weeks to prepare for that. I'll match whatever you make. And so the son was able to make up at least half of that, went to his dad and told him, and his dad gave him the rest. And the little boy uh, found out where to go buy a ticket. He went and bought it, and he was so proud. So he heard that the Christmas, the uh, uh, circus Parade, this was back in the days when the circus came to, literally came to town. You could watch them come into town. It was kind of a teaser because you could see all of these weird people and strange things and kind of entice you to want to go. And so he went that day when the circus came to town and the parade went by and his eyes were huge, his mouth gaped open and he was having such a good time. And uh, when one of the clowns walked by him, he put the ticket in the clown's hand and uh, and the clown, of course, kept going, and the little boy got home, and he was telling his dad all about the circus. And the dad said, son, you didn't see the circus. You only saw the parade. And I think sometimes Christmas is that way for us. Uh, we get so excited about the parade, and we miss the whole point. And, and we are awed far too easily. We open up our gifts and we ooh and we awe and we make our list for a long, long time. But I want you to think about Christmas as being, you know, the things that we're burdened for. And I'm not talking, I mean, I'm not saying it's judgmentally at all. I just want, I don't want us to get, I don't want us to see the symbol of Christmas and think that that's what Christmas is. You know, a lot of kids will make a Christmas list. I know some families may not do that, but these are the hopes and the dreams and the wishes of what I want to, to be true and unwrap at the tree. Nothing wrong with that, I suppose, if that's what you want to do. And uh, parents go out and they fulfill their children's dreams if they can. And uh, everybody has a, a Merry Christmas. And, uh, but I want you to think about in the spiritual world is, is what are the things that we're really hoping and dreaming for? Not tangible things, but like maybe the salvation of lost family and friends or neighbors or, or some kind of opportunity to break forth. We could finally know what it is that God wants us to how he wants us to minister, maybe what our spiritual gifts are and how God has equipped us to, to extend his glory. And so we think about these things throughout the year that we're hoping and we're dreaming and we're wishing and we're praying over. It becomes our prayer list, not our Christmas shopping list. And when the Lord begins to, to come into our life like he did 2,000 years ago in a manger, but he's born in us again and he begins to give us the things that we truly have wished for on our list. I just don't want us to, I don't want us to turn Christmas into something that's only material, something that reminds us of gift giving and not the giver, the the giver of every good and perfect gift. So let's look at verse 
We'll start in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2. Very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture, especially during this time of year. But I want you to hear some things today that, that and maybe put them in a, an order or a process that maybe we've not heard them before. And the angels to the shepherds said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people. For unto you is born this day, and by the way, to, for all the people, and he says for unto you, he's not just speaking to the shepherds, he's speaking unto all the people. But he's putting the message in the shepherds' mouths because they are going to be the first evangelists. These men who are in darkness, these, these outcasts because of their occupations that were not even allowed to worship inside the temple. They, weren't even, they were raising the sacrificial lambs but weren't allowed to make sacrifices because of what they were required to touch day in and day out. They were ceremonially unclean. These are the ones that the good news came to first. The least likely. The least likely of their entire generation. So, this good news is for all people. For unto you, all people, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I'm not going to expound on this a whole lot. This is written in English for us, translated from the Greek. The New Testament is. Luke actually is a Gentile. We'll talk about that. But it's important for us to know that the word in Greek, Christos, is the same word in the Hebrew that is the Messiah. So when they're hearing this for the first time, not when they're writing, but when Luke is writing it, when they're hearing it, the angels are telling the shepherds, Messiah is finally here. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this last verse 14 is so rich with meaning and truth. Listen to this. Glory to God in the highest. And again, as it is written, glory to God in the highest. And when God is receiving His greatest glory in the highest, there is a byproduct, a result of God being glorified. There is a result on earth when God is glorified in heaven. Do you see what it is? Glory to God in the highest. And as a result, peace among those who recognize Him. Peace will reside in the hearts of those who understand who He is. Because if you understand who He is, you will surrender to Him as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the Savior. When you surrender to Him as the Savior, there's only one response to your surrender, and that is glory to God in the highest. If you want peace in your life, put God only. Not put Him first, put Him only. And all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 16, 33, right? We know these. 
truths, but let's put them all together. The gospel message. Some people all, I hear people say this, Jesus is the gospel. That's not true. Jesus isn't the gospel. The gospel is that peace is available. That's the good news. The good news is peace is available. What is the starting point for all people because of, sin, because of the sin nature that we have from Adam? There's a starting point for every one of us. Remember this, in Genesis, from the very beginning, when Adam rebelled and Eve was tricked, remember this, from the very beginning, as soon as Adam took a bite, what did he do? He went and hid himself because he was afraid. And when the Lord showed up and He said, Adam, where are you? I was afraid. It's the starting point for the sin nature. And so when you see the shepherds, you say, well, how do we know that they're not believers? They could be good, devout Jews. It's possible. But I know this, in our flesh, our starting point is fear. They may not have been afraid. They may have had staves. They may have had baseball bats for these wolves that may come for their sheep. They may not have been afraid physically, but emotionally and spiritually they were vulnerable. They were exposed. They were waiting. Now I'm telling you, there's times in your life when you don't recognize your fear, but there are, is there's always this deeper fear that resides in every one of us. What if I'm not enough? What if I'm rejected? What if somebody doesn't love me? What if I'm alone? What if nobody cares? What if I didn't really mean my prayer? What if God's still angry with me? When we're all alone and we open up the Word of God, we feel condemned. When we pray, we feel God is so far away. We don't sense His presence. When we don't sense His presence, what, what is the, the, the final emotion? Fear. So, whether the angels begin to bite their fingernails or not when the angels showed up, here's what the angel knew. I know humans. I've been around at that point for 4,000 years. I know the starting place for humans. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't know if... I mean, I'm going to put myself in this situation. If I'm out on the side of the mountain one night and I'm doing work or I'm hunting or I'm doing whatever it may be that people do in the middle of the night and all of a sudden out of nowhere this angel just kind of appears in your face, I'm probably going to take a step back. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe they didn't. But here's what the angel said. We know the base emotion, every sin flows out of fear. Every sin flows out of fear. You angry? You need to check what you're afraid of. You tempted? You need to keep going back. Because sin is simply a byproduct. It's what we do with fear when we don't take fear to Christ. Sin is what we do with fear when we don't take fear to Christ. So when the angel showed up, let's cut through all of it. Here's the base statement. When the angel showed up, the angel said this, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Up until this point, you should be afraid. But now the Messiah is born. So here's the gospel. The good news is peace is available. The truth of the gospel or the message of the gospel is that Jesus is the map to that peace. So yes, ultimately, 
peace is available. And I'm not preaching a lesser gospel. What I'm saying is there is no way to peace with the Father except peace through the Prince of Peace. He's the pathway that brings us back reconciled to the Father. Jesus is the only way. In fact, the angels declare that first. There is no other way to peace other than through Jesus Christ. He was born in a manger, but, but for us to see Him and understand Him and get that first gospel message, to have true joy and true peace and true hope, He can't stay in a manger. He has to be born in us. The manger was proof that it's available, but unless you make a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your fear, you will not be saved apart from Him. You're not saved because He was born in a manger. That made it available. But until you say yes to a personal relationship with Him, there can be no joy. There can be no peace. And there will be no hope. And so we look for substitutes. Oh, listen, nobody is offended by a newborn baby in a manger. But I want you to watch. Even, even people that are not in church celebrate Christmas. But look what we've done to Easter. Look what we've done to the resurrection. That we're offended of. That we're trying to keep out of our common conversation. I want us to know the real joy of Christmas, not the joy of a Christmas meal that everybody was able to attend or the face of a child when they opened the gift that you didn't know if they were going to be able to get or not. That's temporary joy. It's such a substitute. And I'm telling you, the day after Christmas, there's the letdown. It's significant. The joy of Christmas. In fact, not joy. What did the angels say? Not joy, but great joy. Great joy of Christmas comes through receiving God's gift, the Savior, Christ the Lord. So even if you haven't truly received Christ as your Savior, maybe you're just going through the motions, or maybe you have received Christ as your Savior, but you're not living in a in an ongoing, deepening, growing, multiplying relationship with Him. You may have some good feelings at this time of year and this season, and it's the greatest time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. It's always good to be with family and friends, and it's good to have freedom from work and a shift in schedules, and we are give ourselves a pass on a lot more sugar this time of year. To be able to exchange gifts and to think and to laugh and to play games. But I'm talking about something different, something deeper, something when those events are over. The true joy of Christmas actually lasts all year long. It's the abiding joy of knowing for certain that things are right between you and, and God. It's the contentment that comes from knowing that you have a hope that holds constant beyond the uncertainties and the circumstances of this life. And, and, and rather than running from circumstances, when we just have an inner joy, a contentment in our relationship with the Lord, circumstances don't affect us that much. In fact, it's those circumstances, we'll talk about this in a moment, that actually clarify what we're really hoping in. 
I don't want to be too sentimental. But I do want to say a lot of times we make it so much about people. You know, my, my family, it's important to us. Family is important to us. We live a long, long way from home. We live a preventative way from home to be involved in family at all. Um, we have family that have grown up, moved on, and we never really even know, knew them. We hear stories about them. We see them maybe once a year if their schedules happen to coincide with ours. But we're going home today. My, our home, my wife and I, our kids call it home, but they've never lived there. But we're going home today to see family, get to see my family for a couple of days and see her family for a couple of days. And that's good. But let me tell you something. If the joy of being back with family is the joy of our life, a time is going to come when some of those folks don't come to dinner anymore. And the older I get, the more likely that is. But if our joy is in family, there's going to come a time where circumstances will rob that joy. And we're going to get to the end of the dinner and say, wonder who won't be here next year. There's a deeper joy than that. We love faith and family. We love talking about the good old days. But may we not lose sight that Jesus is the only source of joy. And when our satisfaction is in Him and our conversations revolve around Him, whoever is not at the table next year, that's okay. We know where we're going to spend eternity with them. And you know what? There is a sense of joy when we think about eternity. So, let's, let's work through just a couple of things here and then we'll, we'll go. Why did the angel describe the news about the Savior as great joy? Because up until this point, the pathway to righteousness was not clear. The promise was made, but the promise had not been kept yet. We knew that God was going to send a, redempt, a redemptive way, but we didn't know what it was yet. And so if you remember when God gave Moses the law, everything about the law was not to save people. All right, so, so I want you to hear this very quickly, uh, clearly. G God did not give the law to Moses to show the people how to be saved in the law. The, God gave Moses the law to prove to them that there was no way to be saved. There was no way to keep the law. And so because you are going to offend the law in some way, here's what you do when you mess up. You offer sacrifices. So for people today who are trying to be good and do good as a means to win some sort of favor with God, the law, the, the law keeping, the being good will never accomplish it. There always has to be a sacrifice when we mess it up. And we will always mess it up. The sacrifice was the slaughter of innocents, the, the animals, the the, uh, the, the sheep, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, the doves, the, the, even the, the trespass offerings of the, of the wheat and the food and all of these sorts of things that went into the sacrificial system. But if you go back and read it again, you will see that these did not satisfy the requirements of the wrath of God. All it did was push the consequences of His presence back a year. So every year on the Day of Atonement, they had to go back in and sacrifice again, and it would push the wrath of God forward for a year. 
And now next year, it's forward a year. And before long, it just super piles up. And not for just you alone, but for all of the 4,000 years of history of the Jews, it mounts and mounts and mounts. And so the pathway of what, would, what do we do to get rid of all this? Now, it's not like pushing a snowplow where eventually some of it will melt. The consequences of sin never melts. It just stays there and it stinks. And that's exactly what life looks like in the Old Testament. They knew they weren't free. They knew they weren't transformed. They were trusting by sacrificing and all it was doing was delaying the inevitable. This is why it's good news for all people. It's because Jesus Christ has now come to wipe away the pile. To do completely away with it. And there'll never have to be another pile. Now, because of the, the birth of Christ, to, to, to be one of us, a perfect one of us, to satisfy the wrath of God, He has now moved all sin for all time and taken upon Himself for us. That's the good news. The good news is that sinners can now be forgiven. Who's a sinner? All of us. That's why all of us get the glad tidings of great joy which shall be to all people because all of us qualify for this good news. The shepherds sitting in the darkness picture the lost human race sitting in the darkness of sin and the shadow of death. But when the glory of God and His holiness suddenly breaks in on people who live in the darkness of sin, the only response can be fear. But when the angel, the first thing the angel says is, fear not, because you're, you have a chance at peace. And peace has been born not very far from here. You should go look for Him. Here's what He's going to look like. And when you look at Him, when you see Him, glory to God in the highest and you'll have peace. In the Bible, even when godly people encounter God in His holy angels, fear is always the response. I was thinking about it. I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about it, but when God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, it says the mountain shook. Remember that? And lightning flashes, and thunder was there, a thick cloud, and the sound of a loud trumpet. And the people were so afraid they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even approach the mountain. Well, that's what happens when God comes near. When the godly Isaiah saw God through a vision, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm ruined. So when we come into the presence of God, the first thing we think of is our sin. Don't let that be a surprise to us. The first thing we think of when we come into God's holiness, when we consider His holiness, is fear. In fact, terror. This word fear in Greek is phobos. We get the, our word phobia from that. It is a fear that is so powerful it causes us to want to run away. That's why the angel says, don't be so afraid that you miss this message. This is not a paralyzing fear. This is a running away fear. The angel says, don't run away because you're afraid. I've got great news for you. I'm afraid though, even in our, we've become so complacent, maybe even arrogant. Maybe I shouldn't even say maybe, because I think arrogant. 
in our pagan culture, even in many churches and even in Christians' hearts nowadays, far too few know anything about the fear of God's impending judgment. Listen, one of the most common messages that I hear, even in evangelical churches today, one of the most common messages is, and I know people are craving to hear this message. It's just something seems right when you hear it, but here it is. God's not angry with you. And people go, oh, I'm so afraid that he was. It's one of the reasons why I can't have a relationship with God because I think God's angry at me. Well, I'm going to clear all that up real quick. This message that the angels gave us, gave us because God is angry at sin. That's pretty simple. If God wasn't angry, why in the world would He offer His only begotten Son to redeem us? Whatever happened to the wrath of God abiding over our heads? Whatever happened to we are sons of disobedience, we are children of wrath. His wrath rests upon us if we are apart from Him. We should be terrified of a holy God, not buddies with Him. The only reason that we feel that we're so close is because we've lost the, the sense of our own sin. Listen, if you can know what your sin feels like, then you will sense His holiness and be afraid. And that fear drives us to repentance. And that repentance to peace. You can't have peace apart from fear. It's not possible. It starts there. We have forgotten to fear a holy God. It is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. God's not angry with us. So let me say to us who have already acknowledged the great joy in Jesus Christ, who may be wrestling with sin within, and may be struggling with the holiness of God, there is satisfaction that comes in Jesus Christ, and that's great news to us. But if you're living in sin, and you're rebelling against God, He's angry. Now, as a father... It's hard for me to be angry and love. Because I have a sin nature. But even in his anger, even in your rebellion, he still offers glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Just because he's angry doesn't mean that he's resentful and resistant to us, coming to Him and begging for His forgiveness. Forgiveness that is only available through Jesus Christ. Do I want to emphasize His anger? I do not. But there are eternal consequences for rebellion. It's not a little matter. If it were a little matter, He would have found another way than sacrificing His only Son for us. So I'm afraid that when we hear about peace, that we can have peace with God, that it pleased the Father to crush His Son for us. 
we, 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 the thought of the substitutionary death of Christ for us, that when we see the cross, we shouldn't say, oh, Jesus loves me so much. We should say, that should have been me. I'm the one that deserves that. Thank you, Lord. And when we begin to think about the richness of His gifts, we just lift our holy hands to Him. We would never cease to praise and glorify Him if we recognized our sin and where we came from. And when we do that, glory to God in the highest. And you know what? When you give God your fear, when you give God your grief, when you give God your offenses, He gives you His peace. But if you won't acknowledge those things, your peace is temporary. It'll move from circumstance to circumstance. You'll have the highs and you'll have the lows. But if you can always keep in mind of who you are in Him, glory to God in the highest. And in me, peace among those to, with which He is pleased, to whom He is pleased. I'm afraid we don't really appreciate the good news of the coming of the Savior. You should just think about, okay, if, if I'm at the airport and I'm standing at the airport, and listen, and by the way, I'm going to shift gears here. I'm not trying to terrify or make anybody feel bad. What I'm trying to say is there's peace available. That's the greatest news in the whole wide world. But to get it, you've got to know who you are to get who he is. I'm at the airport. You rush in. I'm in line to check my bag. I've been, I've been standing in line for a while. You know, you know what that's like, right? There is, I mean, you go to the airport, you're pretty much a criminal. Uh, you feel like, I mean, it's just like, don't look sideways. Uh, sir, you're too close to the person in front of you. You need to step back. I mean, it's like, right? Well, I've been standing there a long time. I've been paying all my dues standing in line. And you rush in. You grab me by the shirt. And you pull me out of the airport. And I say, what in the world are you doing? And you say, saving you from the airport. <laughs> well, you just ripped my shirt. You hurt my arm. And all my line waiting was in vain, right? I do not appreciate you saving me from the airport. But let's change the scenario a little bit. I'm held hostage in the airport, right? By gunfire. And you're able to find a way out, uh, in, uh, to rescue me and you pull me by my shirt and you drag me out and, and I say what are you doing and you say I'm saving you from the airport and I say thank you so much and I'll take the ripped shirt and the hurt arm and I'll forfeit my place in line right when you think about saving people it's very important for people to know what they're being saved from and if we only talk about the savior and never about the nature of man I'm afraid we go into the world talking about people can be saved and they're saying, I don't, don't rip my shirt. The news about the Savior brings great joy because it's true. If I said, <clears throat> you just inherited a million dollars and you say, what? Really? No, just kidding. I mean, that's great news. <laughs> So let me ask you, even when you find out I'm lying, is it still great news? Mm, it's great news for about two seconds. Well, the reason that this is great news is because it's true. 
and it lasts. It's not worthless news. It's not for a moment. It's not some sick joke. Listen, Luke wants us to know that the news is true. In fact, he begins the book in chapter 1, verse 3 by telling the recipient of the book, uh, Theophilus, he tells him, I have done my due diligence. He was a historian, by the way. I have done my due diligence. I have examined everything. In fact, most ancient scholars believe that Luke's primary person that he interviewed, anybody know? Mary. I mean, he's getting a lot of, like, I was in the room kind of footage in his conversation with her. And he did his research, and he investigated, and he wanted us to know it's true. Luke 2.19 reports that Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in their heart. To doubt the veracity of these events recorded by Luke is to pit your word against the woman of integrity who was personally closer to these events than anyone else. The witness of the shepherds. And you can say, well, how do we know they were shepherds? I mean, really, does it really matter? Well, that region found out some way. Mary and Joseph fled pretty quickly. They weren't the ones that got the word out. So are the shepherds instrumental in the story? I would say yes, they are instrumental in the story. People begin to find out about them. Look at the, I don't want to elaborate on this too much, but the truth of the narrative is further confirmed by the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Luke actually states that Jesus was born in the city of David. Micah chapter two, uh, chapter 5 verse 2, 700 years before that predicted it. Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 67 through 79, all about John the Baptist, Zechariah's prophecy, shows how the birth of John the Baptist fulfilled many of Isaiah's prophecies, be followed by coming of the Messiah. Luke chapter 3 demonstrates that Jesus' lineage goes all the way back through David, and even further, fulfilling God's promise to David a thousand years before his birth. Over 900 Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. It's true. Luke wants us to know that it's true. But if Jesus was born in history to the Virgin Mary, if He fulfilled prophecies made hundreds of years before His birth, if the events surrounded His birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension are verified by hundreds of reliable eyewitnesses, then you cannot shrug it off as a, hmm, that's a nice story. That's heartwarming. Jesus is the Savior who was born in history, the living God in human flesh. And if God has so acted in history, then it is really good news. If all of it is as legend, then it's terrible news. Because it is purporting to be God's revelation to man on the matter of our eternal destiny. So it's good news because it's true. It also is good news because it tells us that it is the answer to God's promise. It is, he is Christ. Not only is He Christ, He is Christ. He is the Messiah. The Messiah, the Lord. He's not just God's promised one. He is God Himself. This teaches us about the Trinity and how God relates to us in every way. 
The same word is used in Luke chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 23. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it's referring to Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 23, is referring to God Himself. It's the same word, Christ the Lord. The Savior born in Bethlehem is God, but not only is He God, He is God in human flesh. If He had been only a man, then He could not have saved us. How could He not have saved us? This goes back to a very important part of the virgin birth. You and I, I've heard people say things like, what difference does a virgin birth really mean? I mean, that's kind of far-fetched. How could a virgin possibly give birth to, to a son? That's the miracle of Christmas, truly. Because every you go all the way back again to Genesis and you find that man has a sin nature because he is born of man. And so men and women, mankind, has a sin nature because we all have as our root the original man. And it is passing through us from generation to generation. But Jesus was not born of man. He was born only of woman and the Holy Spirit. And so only Jesus qualifies to be a human being without a sin nature. Could he have sinned? I don't know. Yes, I think that he probably could have sinned. Could he resist sin? Yes. And he did. And every way in you that you experienced temptation, Jesus was tempted just like it. You can't think of a temptation that Jesus didn't overcome. He was perfect without sin and qualifies to be the Redeemer. He is Christ the Lord. There is no other. The virgin birth is everything because if He had been born of a man, He could not have saved us. If He'd been born of an angel, He could not be our kinsman redeemer. For those religions who say that Jesus is just a, an angel or that Jesus is the, the brother to Lucifer, and God sent these, uh, God forgive us for what we've turned this into. The only reason that we come up with other stories is because this one is so full of life. Jesus was God who became a man, not a man becoming God. It's also good news because it is for all people. No one is disqualified. I don't hear as much as I used to hear it, but people would say, well, Pastor, if you only knew the things I've done, you know that there's no way God could ever forgive me for what I've done. The things that I've thought, God could never forgive. Even, even men who have fought valiantly in war have, have struggled with, but you don't know the things I've done, the things I've seen, the things I'm overcoming. And I would say this, this word all is so pregnant with all. I grew up hearing this often. All means all, and that's all, all means. Right? Salvation is for all. It doesn't take away the things we've done in our minds. That's where we really battle, right? We're not still actively engaged in those sins. Spiritually, we know that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But in our minds, that's where we wrestle. That's where we're reminded at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
when the radio and the TV goes off and we're left only with our own thoughts and our own minds, that's when we start rushing to our darkest moments. The Christmas story says it does not have to be this way. Don't be afraid. There's peace available to you. Take that fear to Jesus Christ and be at peace. That's great news. It doesn't matter who you are, here's peace. It doesn't matter what you've done, peace is available. By the way, to the Jew first. But Luke, who wrote this, is a Gentile. To all people. To all people. So over the last couple of <clears throat> weeks, we've been talking about gifts we give God, what He gives us back in response. You know, we give Him our worry, He gives us His peace. We give Him our suffering, He gives us His comfort. We give Him our grief, He gives us His joy. It's a fact that the gospel truly does transform people. I may have even told you this story before. I heard it a long time ago, but there was these, <clears throat> this fellow, skeptic, who was on a, a South Sea island. Uh, he was mocking Christianity, and these natives came up uh, to him, and he was making fun of their faith and their practices, and uh, they, were, they were converted uh, Christians. And one of the local tribesmen said to him, um, if the missionaries have not brought the gospel of peace to us, we would have eaten you already. The gospel transforms us. It brings us another way of thinking. Wherever it goes, the gospel transforms sinful hearts. In fact, Paul said in chapter 1 of verse 16 of Romans that the gospel, and what is the gospel? The gospel is that peace is available. Where is peace available? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And not only is peace available to you, but when you receive His peace, the first thing you want to do is to give His peace away. When you experience the joy of the Lord that is not bound by circumstance that's deeper than that, the first thing you want to do is to give it away. When you experience the comfort of the Lord that is so difficult to come by because we like to hold on to things so tightly, but when we give the worst of us away to Him, He gives us the best of Him to give away. Great joy. By the way, I bring you good news. I didn't say this earlier, but that good news is where we get our word gospel. The gospel is good news. I bring you good news, and it's a message of joy. Peace is available. But great joy is the word mega. Mega cheerfulness is what it means. I give you mega cheerfulness of great joy. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The wise men had been looking for the star, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Anybody know the word? Greatly. That word means vehemently. They shook with joy. Well, that's what the angels said to the shepherds that you would experience when you see Jesus. They only saw the star of Jesus, and they rejoiced greatly. 
We could go over and over and over all of this passage of Scripture and you could see joy. I started this week, we're not even going to get to it, but it's not wasted because it's really encouraged me. But you go to Matthew every time the word joy is used, in Luke, in Mark, and in, in John... I've traced out every time people were filled with joy, and it comes at three different times. Joy only only comes at three different times. They came with joy when Je- when they read Jesus's words, or when they read the words of Jesus when he spoke unto them. They were filled with joy. Different different times. I won't go into all of that. There were times when they would come back from the evangelistic campaign, and it says that they were filled with great joy when they saw the demonstration of Jesus's name over the demons, and they came back with joy to tell Jesus. They were filled with joy when they think about the kingdom of God that was at hand. So every time that people are filled with joy, it's Jesus' words, Jesus' presence, or Jesus' promises. It's never unwrapping things under a Christmas tree or getting a job promotion or a brand new truck. Joy comes from being in the presence of Jesus Christ. If you want joy and peace and hope in your life, you can only have them by placing yourself under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's not found in a manger. The manger was proof that he could be found. He's found right in here when you surrender your life to him entirely. I imagine that you're here this morning because you're celebrating Christ in some way already. And this morning, I just want us to remember, I know some of these words have been very heavy, but I want you to hear this first and foremost. Peace from God is available to us. Joy from God is available to us. Hope from God is available to us. And that is good news. So why is it that our generation is marked with such anxiety and depression and fear? Is it because those shepherds sitting in darkness who have received the message of joy have rather than sharing the message sat on it? Or perhaps we haven't gotten up lately to go sit in his presence. I think of this. Some of you have already studied it. Some are you about to. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah was commanded by God to go to King Ahaz. And he says to Ahaz, he says... The Lord is going to do this thing. I won't get into the thing, but that's the whole context. But the Lord is about to do this thing. Ask Him for a sign. And Ahaz in his arrogance, well, humility, but believe me, he doesn't mean it. I would never ask the Lord. I would never put the Lord to a test. And Isaiah said, well, you you should ask the Lord for what He told me to tell you to ask Him. Well, I won't. And Isaiah said, well, the Lord's given it to you anyway. There'll be a Savior born of a virgin. That'll be a sign. 
that God's going to keep his promise. Now listen, why would God say to Isaiah, tell Ahaz to ask for a sign if God was going to give the sign anyway? Here's why. He was giving Ahaz an opportunity for an investment. If Ahaz would have asked for it, it would have been his sign, his promise. It would have been something that would have stirred his faith and given him some buy-in to this sign, some believability. But he wouldn't do it. So when you go fast forward now, multiple hundreds of years, you will see the shepherds, the uh, angels looking at the shepherds and saying, this will be your sign, the sign of Ahaz. It's proof that God will always keep his promises. So I would say to us, when the Lord says, test me now in this, here's, here's where you can find it. We'd say, well, I, I'll never, I don't want to put God to the test or I don't really know if I believe all that or not. I'm just telling you, God asks us to believe so that we can enrich our faith. For us not to step into his peace, his hope, and his joy would be to miss the blessing altogether. Don't settle for the parade when you can sit in his presence and enjoy him forever. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.